can sometimes feel a bit puzzling. Maybe it's that confusing car insurance policy. Or working out the right protection for your health, home and family. Or feeling unsure if your pension is on the right path. Aviva can help make these conundrums click. Helping solve your financial puzzles? It takes Aviva. Is what you're doing still doing it for you? I am EY. For a purpose that inspires me. And a culture that accepts. For a team that relies on me and makes me better for it. Knowing I'm always respected for being absolutely me. For my work to have meaning. Ideas becoming actions and my direction my own. For leaders that challenge, guide and support. Empowering me to be all I can and bring everything I am. My skills accelerated. My voice amplified. For always feeling heard and saying without hesitation. I love what I do. That's why. EY. Mom, I got the job. She got the job. Who got the job? She got the job. She got the job. Find your I got the job job on Total Jobs. Hi there, my name is Chris O'Shea. I'm the chief executive at Centrica. We've got 20,000 colleagues in the UK and in Ireland. And we supply every third home in the UK. So we have 10 million customers in the UK. We make an impact on young people by providing good, well-paid apprenticeships. We've recruited more than 1,300 apprentices in the last 18 months. We're just about to launch our next apprenticeship programme in December of this year. So this is my duvet flip where you're going to learn about my career journey, my industry, and just some more about my background through my conversation with young Jack. Thanks for having me, Jack. How are we today, Chris? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. And you've got a customer sitting right in front of you, a happy one. A happy customer, which is always good. So It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So thank you for spending time today. And we've got from Carol to Coca-Cola tuning in today, <laughs> which is really cool. We've got young people, we've got parents, we've got... The show started as to how do we really motivate young people to get out of bed, mm -hmm. find something they're passionate about, and do a job well. And... The, we started with five episodes and said, we'll do five episodes and we'll see what happens. We're now on season three. We have superstars like yourself coming on and we've had so much wisdom and knowledge given to young people with the right career guidance so they can kind of thrive. Mm. So I'm so excited to hear your career journey today and your golden nuggets that you're going to share with us. My first question is, there'll be a number of people uh, tuning in, like, who are Centrica? Mm -hmm. What, who is this guy sitting in front of me? Can you share a little bit about your career journey sure. in 60 seconds? Yeah. So I'm an accountant by background, so I trained as an accountant. But if I go further back, um, my parents were self-employed. and they, um, So we had a relatively good standard of living. And their business um, 
the business went bust when I was about 10 or 11 years old. So we had to move from where I'd spent my life growing up in Fife through to, to Glasgow. And it's only 60 miles, but at the time it seemed like moving to the end of the world. The beacon of stability through all of that was a family friend who was also the family accountant. So if I think back, I think that lodged somewhere in my in my mind. But I moved um, to Glasgow. My parents uh, went into the pub trade, so they were publicans. So my first job was uh, working in a pub. Um, I was a, a barman throughout university, but um, I worked kind of cleaning the pub, stacking shelves and stuff, working for my, my parents. But all through that, I just remember this great upheaval where I had to leave everything that I knew and I had to move. See, it seemed like at the end of the world, or the end of the earth, sorry, um, when I was 11 years old. And I think my school did uh, like equivalent of a GCSE in accountancy, which is a bit weird when you think about it. And I was always good with numbers. So I did a GCSE in accountancy. I did an A-level equivalent in accountancy. And then I decided I wanted to be a professional. So I applied for university to study law or to study accountancy. Um, my school, standard comprehensive, very keen to get people to go to Oxford or Cambridge. So I got an interview at Oxford. It was a complete car crash, a <laughs> complete disaster. And I was I was rejected, which was quite appropriate given the quality of the interview. And I decided I wanted to take, except two things at university in the same course. I, I accepted offers to do accountancy. Now, I'd, I didn't know anyone that had ever been to university. So I only found out in my third year at university that you could actually be an accountant but not study accountancy. So I studied accountancy at university. So accountancy at school, accountancy at university, trained as an accountant with a small firm in Glasgow. I wanted to work in a big firm, um, but I was in the bar with a friend when the chartered accountancy people came to tell you how to get a job. So I was a, I was in classes and then people kept saying, I've got a job. And I think, shit, how do you, what do you have to do to get a job? And so I was late to apply and I had, I used to, I don't have them anymore, but I had, I got at least like 30 rejection letters, you know, people saying, thanks very much for applying, but we've got no places. And I got my job really, really late training with this small firm of accountants in Glasgow. So I spent three years there. I moved to Aberdeen. Um, I just got married and uh, we had one uh, child and another in the way. So we moved to Aberdeen, um, which uh, was to work for a larger accountancy firm called EY. Um, from there, I quite enjoyed it. I went to secondment to Shell and I really enjoyed that. So I joined Shell. I spent about eight years there working between Aberdeen, London. Then I went to Houston in Texas and I went to Port Harcourt and then Lagos in Nigeria. So I spent some time there. Then I left, came back to the UK with a company called BG Group, again in the energy business, spent about eight years there based outside Reading. And then after that, um, I've been, I was CFO in three companies, three listed companies in the UK, one called Vesuvius, which nobody's ever heard of unless you're in the steel or foundry industry. We were the world's biggest or the leading industrial ceramics business. Um, then I worked for Smith's Group, um, which did a whole bunch of other stuff in the UK. And then I went to Centrica as a CFO and I've been the CEO now for uh, three and a half, nearly four years. And Centrica, a lot of people haven't heard of it, but we um, are the parent company for British Gas in the UK and for Borgosh Energy in Ireland. So we are the largest energy retailer in the UK and the second largest energy retailer in Ireland. Wow. So I didn't make that in 60 seconds. I must have No, you wasn't, but it was worth it because that career journey. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about rejection because sure. there's a few things through your early career there yeah. that seem to be paintbrushed as rejection. Yeah. What is rejection? How do you really build the resilience, mm. the motivation to stand up 10 times when you're knocked down nine? Mm. And how can young people manage rejection in their everyday lives at the moment? Look, it's a great question. I think that I've had a lot of rejection in my life. Um, I think, I suppose, I mean, what is rejection? Rejection is where you want something and you don't get it or you ask for something and you, you don't get it. I think the the way you deal with it 
I mean, it's, so it's easy to look back when, you know, I'm very lucky. I've had a, I've had a, and, and hopefully still have a very good career. So I've been super lucky. And it's easy to look back when you're in a position of privilege and say, well, this is how you deal with rejection. So it's very different, I think, when you've, you've had success to look back at it than when you're in the middle of it. And I think when you, like when I was looking for a job at university, the more rejection that I got and the longer the time went on, the more worried I got because I thought, if I don't get a job in this round, then next year there'll be another hundred students coming out. and they'll be, So I started to get really worried and quite anxious about missing the, the boat. I'm lucky that um, I'm an incurable optimist. I'm like the, you know, the character in uh, Monty Python, you know, the arms have been cut off, the legs have been cut off, and I'm fine, it's just a, a flesh wound. So I'm naturally optimistic, some would say delusional. <laughs> so it didn't get me down too much, but but it was quite worrying. I think the the best advice I can give to people is like have someone to talk to so that you can have some perspective because when you're when you're in the middle of it, when it's if it's about your career, if you don't have a job and you're trying to find a job and you get these rejections, it can be like the biggest thing that can possibly affect you. And so if you've got someone that you can talk to, someone that you can share your problems with, then then that maybe helps to give you a bit of perspective and it, it can give you the resilience to say, okay, that didn't kill me, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to try again. Whereas if, if you deal with it all yourself, that can be more difficult, I think. I think that's brilliant advice. Find someone to talk to. Mm. Who, who, who would that person be? Like, I, I'm sitting at home, I'm thinking, okay, I've been applying for jobs, I'm not really succeeding in this, I've done a few interviews but they didn't work out, I've got no one around me. Mm. Who should I seek out to speak to? That, you know, that's a, a great question. It's hard to say. I suppose if you're at school, like teachers or university teachers, career officers or, or something, um, if you're if you're if you're not still at school, or you're you're on your own. There are, you know, I, I still got job centres are places where you can go and talk to people. Citizens Advice is a great place to get help. But, but have a look. There are lots of people out there. Lots of um, organisations that are there to provide support to people. And and maybe. If you go and look for an organisation that's there to provide support for someone to get a job, you might not find that many of them. But I always think Citizens Advice, they do an unbelievable job. Um, and so you are trying something like that, some other not-for-profit organisation which are really there to try and help people. Um, but it's, it's really hard to say because it's difficult to know what support networks people have got. Absolutely. And talking to someone should be, should be free, right? Mm. Because we have a lot of young people that say, oh yeah, I've been approached on TikTok about this career coach and they want me to buy a course, but I haven't got a job, but I'm yeah. going to get myself in debt to do so. No, definitely not. I think you can find, like Citizens Advice, it's free. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 look, I think that um, I'm, not, I'm, a probably, I'm not on TikTok. I'm probably a bit, my kids will be happy that um, I'm not, I'm probably a bit old for it. But <laughs> you will be after this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope, hopefully that'll be a good thing. I don't embarrass my kids, but... Um, yeah, I think people that are trying to sell you that, um, I doubt very much they know what they know what they're talking about. So I would not pay anything. And just and be creative, look at you know, um look for keep your head up, I suppose, is the thing and, and look for opportunities to, to talk. It might be somebody in the bus, it might be somebody in the tube, it might be somebody in a cafe, but just, you know, always look for the opportunity. And it's easy it's easier if you're extroverted to do that than if you're introverted. But but by and large, yeah, you know, the vast majority of people are good people and they want to help if they've got an opportunity. So maybe just have a look for that. And growing up, was you introverted or extroverted? Or um, a mix of both? Because if you're moving 60, 60 miles down the road, which seemed like a, a long way away, yeah. did that make you a little bit more grounded to, compared to the others around you? Because you've obviously just moved and you've got a bit more experience. I don't know. I, I think I was a bit odd. I think I was... 
whenever you do these kind of tests, you that measure your personality type. I'm borderline introvert, extrovert. Um, so I, I I need time to recharge my batteries on my own, but I also like company. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm a bit in between. I think I was awkward as a kid. I think that. Um, I think it takes everyone a certain amount of time to feel comfortable in their own skin. I don't think I felt all that comfortable when I was a kid. I was lucky. I was I was bright as a kid, so I, I was quite, I was lucky at that. But I was I think I was pretty awkward around people. So I mean, the closest friends I've got today are the friends I went to school with. Um, but I'm more likely to have you know five, six, seven friends than I am to have like fifty or a hundred uh, friends from my, my time at school. So um, I would say using a sporting analogy, when I was younger. School was probably like a score draw, so you know, probably it was okay. It wasn't a great, a great success. So. And reflecting back, what what do you believe made you awkward? Um, I don't know. Uh, there'll be a lot of young people who feel the same as you did, Chris. Well, and what it's, do you? Th- it's, it's funny. I, I don't know. I think that. So my, I've got an eighteen-year-old son just now who's he's left school. He he left after lower sixth, so he's not working at the moment. He's looking for an apprenticeship, um, and he's got ADHD, and. I suspect some of that might come a, a, a bit for me, but one of the things I reflect on is we're a lot. We know a lot more now, so we talk about neurodiversity now. But if you say he's got ADHD and and I've got another relative, I think has got ASD. Both of those, the D, both of those are disorders. So he's got attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's not a disorder. You took at ASD, autistic spectrum disorder. So I think that whilst we understand neurodiversity better, we still don't. We talk about people having disorders if they're not you know, neurotypical. Um, I I don't know why I was uh, why I was awkward. I was probably part of it was it was moving home. I moved like I moved home the day before I started high school, and I was in this huge. So there was like four hundred kids went to this were in the first year the, the intake of high school that I was in, and I remember quite vividly. Now I'm going back. I've just turned fifty, so I'm going back nearly forty years. Standing in the in the schoolyard with 400 other people now, they had all come from feeder schools. And I've never felt so surrounded by people and so intensely alone. Because mm. like, I didn't know anybody. I was an 11-year-old kid. I was quite awkward with that. So I think, look, some of it comes from, from circumstances. Some of it comes from um, being quite comfortable that not everybody's the, the same. You know, it's easy. I think it's easy for cool kids at school. Mm. Um, they tend not to do so well after school. Um, the awkward ones tend to be the ones that have become better adjusted. It just takes a bit more time to understand who you are and understand that it's actually all right to be different. If we were all the same, it would be really boring. I agree. Yeah. And sometimes your disorders, like I'm dyslexic, it become, it's become a superpower of mm. mine. It's made me a better speaker. Yeah. Yes, I, you give me a long contract, I'm like... <gasps> But there's someone that we've hired to do mm. that. And there's yeah. there's experts in different things, right? It's brilliant. I mean, you look at, so Greta Thunberg, um, hopefully I don't get in trouble for, for, for swearing, um, <laughs> but, but Greta Thunberg, she has autism, I think. Yeah. And it was quite interesting. I watched this interview and somebody said, the interviewer said to her, do you think that your autism has held you back? She said, absolutely not. She said, it's a superpower. She said, I can smell bullshit. She said, because I'm not susceptible to charm. So she's got this great ability where lots of people are susceptible to charm. She's not. So I think we have to more, more and more understand that I'm not sure there is such a thing as being neurotypical. I think everybody's neurodiverse. Absolutely. We've just got to realise that and recognise that if you've got if you've got people that have got autism, people that are dyslexic, people you know that have uh, 
attention uh, deficit hyperactivity disorder, they bring something to you. They think differently. And if people think differently, you get a better answer. I agree. I agree. In terms of you, you said you were sitting there and you was thinking, oh, there's going to be another 100 grads coming out next year, then another one. Yeah. How do you stand out in the competition as a young person? Like, there's, you want to apply for this apprenticeship. Uh, I I know I recently came and spoke to 200 superstars uh, who are joining their grad and apprenticeship program at Centrica. How do you stand out and get noticed? What can you do? What's your advice in doing things differently? Or what do you do to stand out? So I think it's it's funny because I think that when you're, when you're in the pack and you're trying to figure out either how to get a job or how to get on in your job, you're trying to figure out how do I get them to see me? And so some people, they might develop sharp elbows, they might um, they might try and pull attention to themselves. I think when you're when you're not in the pack, when you're when you're looking at the pack like I do now with our graduates, actually that kind of behaviour is not not great what they should be if you if you just be yourself then you'll get ideally the right opportunity because when when you're looking for somebody in a group of people it's amazing how obvious the the talent you need is excuse me when you're in that group you're just thinking how does that one person see me so the best advice i would give to people is um is is just be yourself don't try and be something that you're not. That doesn't mean that you can't have self-improvement. You can't try and figure out where you can get better. But but but, but just be yourself. Be genuine. Um, be authentic. And and then you you do still need some luck. But then you get the right opportunities. I think. Absolutely. And how do you, how does one be their self in a professional setting? Because I totally agree. I think you go into somewhere. Be who you are, mm-hmm. love your failures, show your weaknesses, support people and be mm-hmm. kind. Yeah. But at the same time, there is a there's a way of showing up. There, there, there is. That's a, that's a great question. I mean, there's what I would say to to people is if if we want to change the norm, so to speak, you've got to in part conform and you've got to in part be that change. So, see, what I see there, yeah, I have a, whenever we get new starters in, like, uh, we'll get them all together once a quarter and I have a chance to, like, have a question and answer session with them. And what I say to them is, like, you bring this unique perspective. When you join a company, you bring a unique perspective because we've all been in the company and we don't see what people that are new see. I said, so tell us when you see, like, there's no department of stupid requests. So tell us when you see that we're doing something stupid. However, recognise that if all you do is say, that's stupid, that's stupid, that's stupid, people might stop listening to you. So there's something about... How do you watch and listen? My mum said you've got you know got two ears, two eyes, and one mouth, so use them in proportion. So so look and listen twice as much as you speak, but um, figure out how can you conform enough so that you feel included, but not so much that you just become like completely bland. What we try and do at Centrica and in British Gas and other companies is to embrace diversity because we don't really want people to conform when they join us. We want them to come in and help us change. So we um, we try and be very welcoming so they don't have to change who they are. Um, and we just become, when you add another one person into 20,000, just a very small thing changes. Not all organisations are the same though. So I think you've, 
I think the best thing you can do is to try and find a buddy when you join and find somebody who you can sit and say, I have no idea what the hell's going on here. Help me, help me understand. Mm. Again, because most people are good, so they'll want the help. So just asking somebody for uh, for help. Often people are too scared to ask uh, for somebody for help. I would, what I would say to people is, if you think about if somebody asked you for help, you'd say yes. Most people will say yes. So just find someone and ask and just say, help me navigate this new place. With the two ears, one mouth, I totally agree. Mm. And that's what I should. I don't always get it right. You know, so. I, I don't think we all get it right. When we get excited, it's how do you kind of uh, realise that everyone operates different. When I came and spoke to your graduates, I mm. said, be more elephant, not hippo. Because elephant have big ears and hippos have big <laughs> mouths. That's a good point. And I, I think it went down yeah. really well. But it's true. It's yeah. like, go from having all the answers to all the questions mm. and everything you do. Yeah. Learn from those around you. And then see where you fit in, right? Mm. Yeah. See where you fit in. See where you adapt. What was, what was out of all the jobs you've done, what was one that... Because I, I, I always ask, what is the job you dislike? And from that job, mm. what was the biggest takeaway? Because it, I, I'm a big believer to young people who are unemployed at the moment. Go and f- try a number of things. Because mm. then, you, then you will find out what you don't like and you'll get closer to what you do like. So what, what was one <laughs> of the jobs that you, you did that you was at? Why am I even here? But what lesson yeah. did it te- teach you for life? Do you know what? I'm lucky. I, I've, I've never... I've never really had that. I've been... Re- I think because I'm optimistic, I've been really lucky that... I've enjoyed everything that I've I've done, whether it was you know working in my parents' bars, whether it was um, you know all the different jobs I've had through my career. So I don't think I've had any that I didn't like. What I found is so now being the chief executive, I never wanted to be a chief executive. I wanted to be a CFO. I managed to do that. I was really lucky, and then I wanted at some point to become a chair. I, I didn't really want to be a CEO, and but what I've learned is actually I really quite enjoy it. So my reflection is I was probably quite comfortable and, and relatively narrow because I could I could do the CEO job but looking back I was probably a complete pain in the arse for my bosses because I think what interested me was not the stuff of being a CFO so I suppose for me it was about actually taking stock every so often and saying okay what do you genuinely like I was probably scared to say actually I like that stuff that he or she's doing over there not this stuff that I'm supposed to be doing um, I only learned that after I, I took this job. So, and what's the difference between a CFO, CEO, and a chair? Like for those who yeah. will be joining organisations, yeah. they probably have all yeah. those all, all those um, yeah. positions that in their organisation, yeah. their their leadership. So the CFO is basically the person that's in charge of finance, the money, the reporting, making sure that that we understand the performance. The CEO is ultimately responsible for for everything in the company. So you're the senior executive in the company, you're responsible for the day-to-day run of the company, for, for the delivery of everything. And then the chair is responsible. The chair's really the representative. So the board um, governs the company on behalf of the shareholders. So the people that own the company appoint the board and they govern it. The chair makes sure that the board has oversight. So I, so I, I sit, it's a really odd thing, I sit on the board and I report to the board. So I'm a director the same as the other directors in Centrica. But but ultimately, the the chairman and the other what we call non executive directors they're there to make sure that the they decide the strategy. So I propose the strategy to the board, and then as a board we decide. So it's an odd thing. So I propose it as the chief executive, and then we decide it as a board. Um, I answer to the board. Um, so um, they they don't they don't interfere in the day to day running of the company. But if they feel the day to day running is not going well, then the way they interfere is to is to come in and see me. 
um, and say time for you to shuffle off and we'll get somebody else in to do the job. So the so the chair ultimately some people will say the chair has one job and that's to fire the CEO and then subsequently hire the CEO and that's it's probably right. But but the reality is like anything, um, I I rely a lot on advice that I get from the board. So if I've got an issue that I'm just not sure about. I'll talk to my chair, I'll talk to other members of the board, they bring other expertise and say, look, I'm struggling with this. How do you think? So it's, it's a lot of it's based on trust, but, but ultimately the chair's my boss. Um, I'm responsible for the company, the day-to-day running, the CFO is responsible for making sure that I don't spend too much money running the company. Wow. Wow. And that's a great, we've never had that on the show, breaking it yeah. down on what yeah. each one rolls. So thank you for doing that, Chris. We're going to take a quick break because I want some more of tea, and I'm sure you do as well. Excellent. We'll be back in six minutes with the second half, so we'll see everyone in a moment. Oh, there's nothing clever about selling yourself short. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how many people, when you dig into their success stories, Look how many failures they had first. And what marks them out is their character. And you can control your character. You know, how you respond to loss, how you respond to adversity. And what's the last thing you lost? My job, um, uh, I suppose. You've got to be honest with yourself, what went wrong. You've got to then have a realistic plan to put it right. And, you know, bags of determination and self-belief. And the fear of failure, I think you've got to get over that. How do you not let that get to you? I wouldn't say love the adversity, but respect that the adversity will make you better. I've been privileged to see you at various different junctures, and it was very inspiring then, but look how far you've come. It's amazing. (laughs) And if you just relentlessly focused on moving forward, learning the lessons of life, I think it's a recipe for success. And don't let others dictate to you your view of the world, let alone yourself. I said I wanted to be true to my convictions. I wanted to find the right life partner and give my kids the best opportunities I could. Deutsche Bank is the largest bank in the UK that you have never heard of. You know, the environment's very challenging, I think, for young people. Therefore, seek out every opportunity. Don't underestimate how long it's going to take to get up in the morning. (laughs) And I always say, if you're not five minutes early, you're late. I think when anyone is starting a Saturday job and you're a teenager, the biggest thing is getting out of bed. That commitment piece is really important. We know that there are young people for whom actually going to university, spending three, four years, isn't something that they want to do. They want to get out into the world of work immediately. We've got an operations talent programme, lots of different types of ways in which you can actually come into the organisation and understand what's available. So go into a meeting looking for that curious conversation. Absolutely. So I think it's always striking a balance between not sort of interjecting at the wrong times or too frequently, whilst at the same time, if you genuinely have something to say that can add to the conversation and to the discussion, you should absolutely say it. So even though I've been at the bank for 25 years, I feel like I've had five different careers. It's a cliche, but really fake it till you make it. We're looking to grow our businesses. That really is the best advice. Finances can sometimes feel a bit puzzling. Maybe it's that confusing car insurance policy or working out the right protection for your health, home and family. 
feeling unsure if your pension is on the right path? Aviva can help make these conundrums click. Helping solve your financial puzzles? It takes Aviva. Is what you're doing still doing it for you? I am EY. For a purpose that inspires me. And a culture that accepts. For a team that relies on me and makes me better for it. Knowing I'm always respected for being absolutely me. For my work to have meaning. Ideas becoming actions and my direction my own. For leaders that challenge, guide and support. Empowering me to be all I can and bring everything I am. My skills accelerated. My voice amplified. For always feeling heard and saying without hesitation. I love what I do. That's why. EY. Mom, I got the job. You got the job. Who got the job? She got the job. She got the job. <laughs> Find your I got the job job on Total Jobs. I'm so excited, I can't tell you. You know, I just want to scream and shout. Have you ever had an experience where you've gone into a job and thought, oh, what have I done? I felt sick to the pit of my stomach that I've made a bad mistake. I mean, I was ashamed to get a final written warning. And it is the ability to be able to take those, um, those situations and genuinely learn from them without letting them destroy you. Today's news is tomorrow's chip paper. So if it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't look right, it probably isn't right. You know, an awful lot is common sense. And one of the surprising things about common sense is it's not very common. Make your choice, make the choice conscious, and then when you are wherever you are, be present when you're present. Am I learning? Can I have influence? And am I going to enjoy this? In any situation, there are things you control and there are things you can't control. You've got more control than you realise, but equally, don't fret about the things you can't control, because that is the definition of madness. There's a real lesson there, isn't it? It's find the miracle in every situation. Yeah, yeah. Failure is not fatal. Your ability to bounce back and be resilient, for me, is the thing that has made me who I am. So we're back for the second half. We're, we're still here, which is good. Absolutely, got another and cup the light, of tea. And the lights are on. Excellent. Which is good, isn't it? It's uh, good for business. It is good for business, and uh, it uh, keeps everything uh, bright in here. Yeah. Oh, which is good. So I want to talk a little bit about once you get into the job. Mm -hmm. Like, 
we have a lot of young people. Over the last three years, we've helped over 100,000 young people get into work mm -hmm. with the organisation I run, the youth group. Yeah. But only 72% are still in the job after the year. Okay. So we, and it's a big portion, mm. but what about the ones that are not? Mm. What is your advice to passing your probation and actually fitting into the culture? Because I'm a big believer, look, you're going to go into an organisation, there's, there's going to be cheers and chores in every job. There's going to be things you love, there's going to be things you don't love. There'll be values that you resonate with and projects that you like and things mm. that you don't. But you have to balance it out because yeah. not everything is 100% all the time and everything's glory. Mm. What is your advice to young people or anyone who's going into a new job to try and embrace the culture in a meaningful way and complete their probation and be part of a fantastic organisation which they might not get to see mm. is at the moment. So I think that there's, I think some people will go into a company, into a culture and they'll just take it like a duck to water. They'll, they'll love it, they'll feel at home and it all works really well. I think for, for those that don't, uh, I was saying earlier, which is find a buddy, find somebody um, that you can know. Either your company will give you that. So when we have apprentices or graduates join, we'll buddy them up with people. We'll make sure that we have lots of induction. Not every company's uh, like that. So find somebody that you can ask and just say, look, help me figure this out. I don't understand this. Why do we do this? Why do we? And, and just someone that you can trust and bounce ideas off. That, that I think is probably the biggest single thing that you could do to try and make your time a, a success in your career. So go into an organisation, latch onto the first person you can see who gives you a bit of kindness and learn from them. Yeah, ideally, but always, but always make sure that you're kind of always asking yourself, because the first person you see that gives you some kindness might, be, might not understand the company either. So you've, you've got to just figure out whether or not they're the right person. But, but yeah, I, I mean, and not just one person, like if there's more and you say like, you know, can you tell me, when I get this at work, I get, you know, not everyone does it, but some of our apprentices, new starts, they'll, they'll drop, I say to them, drop me a note. I can't guarantee that I'll respond to it immediately, but, but very few people do. And so those that do tend, you know, tend to get a response. I give them a call if they, if they ask questions. So just like, just ask, don't make a pest of yourself, but, but find someone that you can ask. Find that someone you can ask. What, if you were to start, if you were starting again in your career, on everything you've learned, mm. your fantastic experience and the uh, a huge organisation you run now, mm. what would you do differently? I definitely wouldn't apply to Oxford for law so that they could <laughs> <laughs> unceremoniously reject me. Um, I, I, I think that I would be, I'd have been less concerned when I was earlier in my career about thinking how do people notice me? Um, because how you get noticed is by doing good work and by as long as you're in a company which which values that there are some companies that are probably that don't value that but, but companies that are a meritocracy companies that are fair companies that that treat people right will give you opportunity if you do well so I think I, I, I wish I'd spent less time in trying to figure out how to progress my career and more time in just doing a good job in order to progress my career and, and what does one have to do to do a good job I, I really agree with that. Is people spend so much time in trying to get the the mm. next thing, mm. and then you get there and you're like, oh, is that? I, I, yeah. When I got on my first stage, I wanted it, and then when I got on my second stage, I was like, oh, I'm on my second stage mm. now. Was this everything I panicked about? What What does it actually mean for someone who has little experience? Mm -hmm. Let's just be honest. Yeah. yeah little experience. Little skill, bit of skill, mm -hmm. 
how can they do a good job? What would you recommend they do? So you've got, I mean, you've got to learn what's required in the job. You've got to learn how to do the job. So we take on uh, hundreds of apprentices a year to fit gas and electricity meters, to fix boilers, to fix heat pumps and the like. So they've got to learn those skills. You don't just come in as an apprentice with those uh, with those skills. So you've got to learn how to do it. You've got to be curious. You've got to understand what it is that makes a good job. So what we value is happy customers. So what do you do to make the customer happy? And you just recognise that you learn over time. So you understand now, obviously, if you turn up, you're pleasant to the customer. You don't turn up and be an arsehole to the customer because no matter how good you are at fixing their stuff, if you're rude to the customer, they're not very happy. So you want to be pleasant. You want to be diligent. And you want to, to listen to the customer. You know, what's the problem? What can I fix for you? So I think that part, if you're in a customer-facing role, is quite important. But in any business, you've got to understand who your customer is. you then got to have the technical skills. You know, can you fix a boiler? So I'm, I'm lucky enough to be the chief executive of this company. I've got no idea how to fix a boiler. Um, but I don't, I don't need to. I just need to know that we've got people that they know how to fix boilers and we've got a good training program. So we run our own academies. We've got five academies across the UK. We train our own... Uh, apprentices in-house because we think that's really, really important. So we don't send them away to a college, we, we, we do them in, in, in home. So I think just understanding what are the core technical skills, but also what are the like the people skills? How do you get on? How do you rub along people? And understanding what you're good at. So some people will love to be in front of house. They love to be in a shop. They love to be seeing customers. And for some people, that's the idea of hell. Um, be, I think if you can be ambitious enough to try and develop as a person, but don't try and be something that you're not. If you're not a front of house person, if you're not somebody that loves meeting, like, like my son, who uh, says he's looking for an, uh, an apprenticeship just now, he can talk to people, but he doesn't really like it. And so, you know, I try and help him with that, but I force him if, you know, if the deliveroo's coming to the door, I force him to go and get it. So he has to talk to the person. He's able to, but he doesn't like it. So he's probably never going to be somebody that is um, working in a shop or working in a customer facing environment. And you just got to recognise what it is that you're good at, but also what it is that you like. So things that you're good at, you can often change, you can often get better, but the things that you that you really don't like, you're you're probably not going to like. You could you change over the years as you get older, you change. But if you really don't like something, you're unlikely to like it um, just by doing more of it. And so you know, just figure out where you're comfortable. I think. What's something that you used to love, mm. and then as you grow? Uh, got more experience you did not love and and vice versa in, uh, in the world of careers like what's something just so young people who may be going in their first week this week they might not like something but things do change it's a, it's a super i mean so i think it's easier I'm struggling to think of something that i used to really like that i don't like anymore um but i can think of loads of things that i that i didn't like um that the more I got exposed to the more I thought, actually, it's, it's kind of different to what I expected. So um, I I like the customer. Anyway, first, when I worked in companies, we didn't have all that many customers, but I really quite like the customer interaction. And you just, you know, the more you do, the more you find out customers are not scary people. They're just people. And they have the same, you know, they're as, they're as normal as, as we are and they're as abnormal as we are. They're as kind of as idiosyncratic. So... Um, I think that exposure to, to people, um, I really, I really like. I can't think of things that I that I used to like that I, I dislike. To say I'm, I'm lucky. I'm really quite optimistic, and and I like lots. Of, like I like experiences. So, um, so for me, I far prefer 
having lots and lots and lots of experiences. I like to try lots of different things. So, and, and those people skills, in terms of you, you, t- you could only have three people skills. Yeah, what would you be practicing in the uh, the internal academy of uh, people skills? What would they be, and what what are those skills that young people should start looking to mm. adapt and get? And I, one for me growing up is. I never had any kind of, my mum was always drunk. Mm-hmm. So she was always slurring her words and stuff. Mm. And just to slow down your words mm. and look something in the eye when you're speaking to them, build so much more trust. Mm-hmm. So it was looking people in the eyes for me. What would be some of the skills you would suggest young people in this country look to adapt that you believe will get mm. them a little bit further over time, just mm. having those skills? I think... I think being able to talk to people, I think, is, is really quite important. And it sounds really obvious, but I think just being able to to, to have a, a conversation. I think, and I'm not sure this is a skill, but I think being genuinely interested in what in people. And I think that's quite important. I mean, if you're not interested in people, you're really going to struggle to, I think, to fit in in the, in the workplace. So trying to develop that um, curiosity. And then I think... I think the other thing is to is probably to lose your fear because I, I think when you're not if you're not in the workplace and you've not had any role models like I didn't know anyone that had been to university now two of my three kids have gone to university so I can tell them what it was like I can I can give them some guidance but and so when you go to do something that you've maybe not had a role model or you've not had any connection with before it can seem really really scary but remember everything is just people other people are just as scared as you are. They're just as in, they're they're just as um, nervous as you are, or they or they were when they had their first day in, in work. So often, when people are nervous or they're put in an unfamiliar situation, they can become defensive. They can they can lash out. If people could learn that um, whatever you feel is not unique, and therefore just ask for help, look for kindness. Um, I think that's really quite important because I see people sometimes clam up. They get nervous um, and just you know. Just be yourself and ask for help. Lose your fear. Mm. I, 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 I just that's just such a nice way mm. of saying it. And how can one how can one lose their fear? What can they do? Like I'm, I'm into a room and I'm mm. I'm nervous and yet you, the unique feeling. It's mm. not a unique feeling. Everyone's feeling it. I know mm. people deal with things in different ways. Mm. How can I lose my fear in the, meeting you for the first time? And what can what can I do? I don't know. It, it's I mean, it's fear, it's, it's been uncomfortable as well. It's, I don't know how people can, I can only, I know, like for me, so I I don't like going to things where you have to go, you know, going into a room of people that I don't know and you have to go and say hello to people. Now, I can do it, but I don't really like it. Over time, and I used to feel really self-conscious if you go in and you're standing on your own and like everybody's talking to everybody else and nobody's talking to you, you suddenly think, shit, this looks really quite bad. You feel, I, I'm quite comfortable now going into a large room of people and just watching everybody because it doesn't reflect on me the fact I'm standing on my own, whereas in the past I thought, God, what will people think? I'm look, I look like a complete loser standing here. Um, whereas now I don't feel like that. Now, I, I think that's probably what we are talking about earlier, about how you kind of take time to go into your skin to feel comfortable in yourself. And I think that simply, um, simply recognising that everybody has their own fears, everybody has their... I was at a dinner recently where... There was a really, really charming lady there, and she was an actress. And we were going round the table, and 
everybody had to say who they were and something was on their mind. And she said, my name is X, I'm an actress. And she was there with her husband and she said, but I'm, I'm, my husband's a lot smarter than me, so I'll just pass on to him. And I spoke to her after it and, and I said, you know, it, I felt quite sad when I heard that because you've got something that's relevant for everybody else. And she said, I, I really lack self-confidence. <laughs> and, it's, and it was a bunch of them, but mostly business leaders. I said, most of the people here lack self-confidence. What drives senior executives is a, a insecurity, fear of failure. And I said, so all the things you're worried about, I said, just because these people run massive companies, they feel exactly the same. I said, like in future, if, you know, say whatever's in your mind is as important as whatever is on the CEO of some massive company who, who was there. So, mm. so there's something that just recognise that um, it's not that we're all the same, but even the most confident-looking people have, the, have their own deep-rooted insecurities. Um, they just might be insecure about different things. So the next room you and I go in, we're going to be standing in the corner. Absolutely. <laughs> we, can talk, we, can, we can talk to each other. We can. Yeah. we can. I want to turn a little bit to Centrica and British Gas yeah. in terms of we've heard about the fantastic opportunities you've mm -hmm. got for apprentices. We've heard, I've, we've, you talked a little bit today around about the internal academies, five yeah. of them across the, yeah. the business, which is really cool. I want to talk a little bit about the opportunities mm -hmm. across uh, Centrica British Gas that you kind of have got on sure. that young people can get involved with. Yeah. Um, and why should a young person join? Because mm. there'll be a lot of young people today thinking, I'm going to go over on the website and uh, apply. They should. They should come in. So, so look, we've got, um, so as you see, we have just over 10 million customers. Um, we have um, 7.5 million energy customers. We've got the 3 million services customers where we go to people's homes. We... We fix their boilers, we fix their heating systems, we fix their electrics, their plumbing and stuff. And then we've got half a million customers in, in Ireland. Um, so you could come to Centrica, you could train to be an electrician, you could train to be a, a gas boiler repair engineer, you could train to be an, a heating system installer where you put radiators in the walls and heat pumps and, and boilers in. You could train to install electric vehicle charge points. You could train to install gas and electricity meters. Um, so there's, there's lots of jobs that you could do in engineering, basically you turn up. What we find quite interesting is, so you need to have a driving license to do this because you have a van that you take home. On day one when they turn up, we give the apprentice the keys to a van. And the number of people that, you know, and they look and they think, you know, is this, are you sure? And they say, no, I'll take it home. And you know that what they're thinking is, why do they trust me? How do they know I'm going to bring it back? Well, you know, the majority of people bring them back. And those people that don't bring them back, I think that happens very rarely. You can kind of find it. It's a British gas van, so um, so so we showed on day one. There's a we've got a lot of trust. We give them a van with tools and and, and spare parts in it and the like. We don't expect them to go out and work that day. We will obviously give them training. So you can do any one of these field engineering jobs. Um, I don't know all of the salaries, but I know that for a smart engineer, so somebody fits a smart uh, meter, so a gas or electricity meter, they have a, a the initial apprenticeships fifty four weeks. After fifty four weeks, they're in. Just over thirty thousand pounds a year, so these are well-paid jobs. We then got apprenticeships in uh, customer service representative roles, so where you're you're on the phones or you're on web chat, you're dealing with customer queries. Um, we've got apprenticeships, I think, in in finance. We've got apprenticeships in uh, in people in, in what you used to call human resources. Um, we're trying to develop more of these. Um, what we say, like professional apprenticeships that um, that are maybe a bit less. So it's been more that if you were going to be on the phones or you were going to be in the vans, you would do an apprenticeship. If you were going to be in finance or in people or in legal, you would go to university and you'd come in as a graduate. We're trying to have more apprenticeships for, for that. But but we've got loads, I think, if they're not on the website just now, they will be, I think, in early December. And I, I, Look, I think it's a great company jo to join. 
obviously I'm a, I'm a little bit biased, but it's, it's genuinely a nice company to work for. The, the people are are very friendly, very supportive. But we're also, I mean, you look at climate change, it's the biggest single problem facing, uh, facing the world. We are at the forefront of trying to make the U, make the UK and Ireland um, achieve, or help them achieve their net zero targets. So basically to take um, carbon emissions to down to net zero by either having heat pumps in, hydrogen boilers, and everybody thinks hydrogen boilers will work. I think that that probably, that they will work or they should work by. We're building solar farms, we're building, um, we're thinking about building wind farms off Ireland, we don't do them in the UK. We uh, built the UK's first large-scale battery to help balance the electricity grid. So I think it's a good company to join. I think we've got well-paid jobs, but we're also doing something that's ultimately going to help the planet. Well, you've sold it to me and I've got a driving (laughs) licence. Excellent. We'll see you there then. Isn't that empowering on the first day if you are out on the road that you and the keys. Mm. There's no nothing more than empowering and trust in that, mm. isn't there? And just that make, must make that individual feel so bloody good. Well, we've got look, we've got amazing colleagues. Mm. Of course, we trust them. And uh, but it's interesting because I think when people have that reaction, it suggests to me that maybe they haven't had other people trust them, which is quite a shame actually. Um, because if people trust you, then you know you feel like you're ten feet tall. You feel you can do an awful lot. So. And in terms of trust, is that how how does one get trust and give trust? What's your ethos of, on trust? Is trust earned? Is trust given until broken? What is your so? So it, it depends. So some people you have to earn trust. For me, I intuitively trust people until they show me that I shouldn't trust them. But some people are naturally not trusting, and you have to earn it. So it really depends. And again, you've got this is why understanding people is very important. But um, but but for me, the vast majority of people in the world are decent people who want to do the right thing, and therefore I think they deserve your trust. So, um, it, but it, but it really it is dependent very much on the individual. We've only got a few more minutes. We've been talking. This is, we could go on all day, Chris. I tell you. And what's the best bit of career advice that you've been given? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Some for some people it was leave. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think um, I think the best bit of advice I've been given is take people with you. So when you're making a decision, when you're thinking about something, like if you just if you, if you go silent, you go into a room and you come out and say, "Eureka, I've got this great idea. Let's do this." Some people think that's brilliant, and some people think, "Well, why the hell do you want to do this?" So, like, try and involve people in your thinking. Try now. I, I think the reason that's the best bit of advice is I think the reason people gave it to me is because what they were saying was, if you don't do that, people won't follow you. And if you're a leader, people have to choose to follow you. Actually, the reason I think it's the best bit of advice is, if you bring people along with you, you'll get a better outcome, because it's not just you. Nobody has a monopoly in good ideas. So if you bring your colleagues along with you, they will help you. If you say, I'm thinking about doing this, they say, well, you just change this little bit, you get a better outcome. So I think that a group is always better than an individual. So that's the best bit of advice I've ever had. I really like that. Bring people with you and you get further, don't you? You go further. Yeah. Two more questions. There's a mirror behind me. We always ask Mm -hmm. guests this. You can see your 21-year-old self in that mirror. What would you be telling your 21-year-old self, Chris? With all the knowledge, wisdom, advice that you've got now, Mm. what would you be telling them? Firstly, enjoy your hair because it's going to disappear. Um, but no, I, I think I, I think the big thing is don't be in so much of a rush. Enjoy the journey. Don't just focus on it. 
when I was younger, I was very much in a rush. Um, but enjoy the journey as much as you look forward to the destination, I think. Enjoy, enjoy the journey. Because mm. we all focus on the outcome, right? Yeah. And yeah. the deadline. I always say start line, not deadline. And just mm. get, then enjoy it. Final, final question. You know what's coming, don't you? What's your duvet flip? What gets you out of bed in the morning to flip the duvet? Um, Work-wise or just personal? Whatever. So, what, 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 what's getting you up this so, week? So I like people and I like the... Um, and I get up and I'm, because I'm naturally optimistic, I just come to think the day is full of opportunities. So... Um, I don't struggle to to uh, to get to get out of bed. I don't struggle to look for um, for uh, for inspiration. What I struggle to do is because there's so many opportunities. I struggle to focus on only the opportunities that I should be looking at because I can I see the world as this unlimited um, set of opportunities and which is quite delusional sometimes probably. Um, but but I think just getting up and being able to interact with and work uh, work with and help people to serve our customers to serve. You know, my job's to, to serve the 20,000 colleagues that we've got, the 10 million customers that we've got, and it's just a massive privilege. So I feel very lucky every day when I get up. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining me today, being so open and honest, and for helping power this series of Duvet Flip through the, uh, the lights that we've got on here. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Jack. Thank you very much. can sometimes feel a bit puzzling. Maybe it's that confusing car insurance policy or working out the right protection for your health, home and family. Or feeling unsure if your pension is on the right path. Aviva can help make these conundrums click. solve your financial puzzles it takes Aviva Is what you're doing still doing it for you? I am EY For a purpose that inspires me and a culture that accepts For a team that relies on me and makes me better for Knowing I'm always respected for being absolutely me. For my work to have meaning, ideas becoming actions and my direction my own. For leaders that challenge, guide and support, empowering me to be all I can and bring everything I am. My skills accelerated, my voice amplified. For always feeling heard and saying without hesitation, I love what I do. That's why. EY. Mom, I got the job! You got the job! Who got the job? <laughs> Ready! She got the job! She got the job! She got the job! Yeah. Find your I got the job job on Total Jobs.